with you. Um, we'll turn over there, but I want to share something first. Just a thought I had while we were worshiping, um, while we were singing to the Lord. We kind of use, you know, we say while we were worshiping as if that's worship and this isn't. Or that's worship, but as believers, are you listening to me, church? As believers, everything we do is worship. Our life is worship before the Lord. That's really the way we should understand our life. We're not Christians for two hours on Sunday morning or for a couple hours on a Wednesday night or we, we are Christian, and that term Christian cannot be defined by our culture. It must be defined by God's Word. The culture defines Christian much differently than the Word of God does. And uh, we need to be people that live with our eyes open. This is the prayer. This is the constant prayer of the Apostle Paul. You read his letters to the churches. His constant prayer is that God would open the eyes of their understanding, that he would open the eyes of their minds and their hearts, that they would see, that they would know, that they would comprehend who God is. Their salvation, the love of God, the world around them, and the difference between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our God. That we would understand the difference of being in the world, but not of the world. And we need, just as importantly today, to be a people that lives with our eyes open, that our heart cry and our prayer would be that God would open the eyes of our understanding, that we would not live with dull vision and dull hearing and hard hearts and stiff necks. But we would be a people surrendered totally and completely to His will. Not when it's convenient for us. Not when it makes us feel good. But that we would have a deep understanding that His will and His way is really the only way. In the end, His will and His way is the only way. Everything else leads to destruction. And so as we were singing, I was just thinking, I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to be really honest, as we were singing, there, there was just a kind of like a, ah, I don't know if I want to see a sadness in my heart or a, um, I don't know, maybe sadness is a good word. Maybe it is. I'm, I'm reading this book right now, it's, it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's, it's pretty sobering. Uh, and I believe it's true. Oh. And there is a sadness, I believe, that the body of Christ, God's people, there's a sadness that, that I think when we look at the world, when we look at the condition of things, when we understand that 
the world is perishing, that men and women are perishing without Christ. There should be, I believe, a measure of sadness in our heart, knowing that people are perishing without Christ. And oftentimes, we want to come to church, and it's like we want to use this time on Sunday morning to just, it's kind of like a drug addict, you know, I just want to get my fix and forget my trouble. And then when I come down, then I'll figure out how I'm going to deal with my, my issues, my troubles in life. That's really not what this is about. So a lot of times, you know, we, we come here and it's like, I just want to have, you know, I just want to feel good. Well, I want to feel good too. But we can't just seek to feel good at the expense of everything else. That's what alcoholics and drug addicts do. They just want to feel good. So they do whatever it takes to get a fix and feel good, and then they work real hard to get another fix so they can feel good again. But, but if, you ever, if you've ever known anyone that's got substance abuse issues, they never really deal with the root problems and the real issues. They just go from one fix to another because they just want to feel good. They just want to kind of live in denial. And I was thinking as I was singing and just reflecting on a lot of things, do you know that God never calls his people grass? We're never referred to, the people of God are never referred to in the Bible as grass. The wicked is referred to as grass, but not the godly, not the righteous. God's people are never referred to as grass. The shallow are referred to as grass. Do you know what God refers to us? God refers to his people as trees. We're not grass, we're trees. Y'all know trees and grass are real different, right? The righteous are trees with roots that run deep. Grass doesn't have deep roots. It has shallow roots. That's why you can go out today and you look around, and the fields of grass are brown because we're in a drought. But if we got about an inch or two of rain, you would see those brown fields green up real quick. A shower will do that for grass. But you know what's going to happen? They're just going to go back to brown again. Because the root system is shallow. Now they get all excited about a sprinkle because it's grass. Trees don't live on shallow watering. Trees live from deep watering. And sometimes I feel like what the church wants It's like grass that just wants to get a shower so it can green up again. 
God says, you're not grass, you're trees. And in order for a tree to grow and to mature and to flourish and to be fruitful, God on purpose created seasons, seasons of drought, seasons of storm, seasons of heat, and seasons of cold. And if we're not careful to the untrained eye, we may be in a certain season and we may look at the landscape and think everything is dead, lest we misunderstand though. It's not really dead, it's just in the wintertime. Some of you can go through a winter season and and the enemy wants to make you believe that you're dying When in reality, it might be the season God's brought to you because he wants to strengthen you. He wants to test you. God may allow a season of drought to come because if you live off the surface it's kind of like water, what, when you water your trees, you don't go out there and just put a sprinkler on your trees for five minutes, ten minutes till the ground gets wet. You let your trees drink deep. You let the water soak deep. God wants our roots to go deep. And sometimes God allows the dry and the heat to come because the dry and the heat, you know what it does to tree roots? Tree roots go to water. They'll find water. And if all the water is up on the surface, then all your roots are going to be here. Do you know why we're in this drought? Do you know why some trees dry and some trees live? Some trees die because their roots have never gone deep. Some trees will endure the drought because their roots have gone deep and they've tapped into something that that you can't discern from the surface. Turn Turn over to Psalm 1. Let's look at two scriptures. If we don't get to 1 Corinthians 5 today, we'll get to it next week, okay? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. You understand that's not a legalistic thing. It's a joyful thing. It's it's life. And here's how the psalmist wants us to understand this. This man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, this man who meditates day and night in the word of the Lord, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water 
that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And what has this tree done? This tree has tapped into something deeper than just the water that's brought by the the rain that falls from the clouds. This tree has tapped into a source much greater. This tree still goes through the same seasons as every other tree. It goes through winter. There is the appearance of death. But even in the appearance of death, there is a flourishing that's taking place in this tree because this tree is drawing its life from something greater than what can be discerned outwardly and on the surface. It goes through heat. It goes through drought. It goes through storm. Its its limbs, its leaves, its trunks, its branches are beaten and battered in the storm. And it may be damaged in the storm. It may lose foliage. It may endure great upheaval from the elements. But because its roots are deep, and because its roots have tapped into something, it weathers the storm. In fact, the storm actually makes the tree stronger. How many of you guys have trees in your yard and they're staked out and they're tied off with those three things? You should untie those. Those are not good for your trees. And the reason they're not good for your trees, it's okay to leave it for a little bit, but not very long. Because actually what happens is that bracing is there and actually your tree trunk will form a weakness where that brace is. And the reason it will form a weakness there is because that tree was created by God to be able to bend and move in the wind. And the ability of that trunk to sway and to move with the wind, with the storm, strengthens that trunk all the way up from the roots to the very tip top of that tree. Where you have that thing braced right there, there is inherent weakness that forms. And what's going to happen one day, if you leave that there too long, there's going to come a wind Right there where that thing, that weakness has been allowed to grow and to develop, your, your tree will just snap right there. What am I saying? I'm saying that God made us. He made us to weather the storm. And how we weather it and whether we weather it kind of reflects kind of root system we have and, and how we've 
grown up and how we've matured. Let's go to Psalm, I'm, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17. Psalm, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 17, let's begin in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. Here's the contrast. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree. Note the difference, a tree and a shrub. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Let's go ahead and read verse 9 because I think that's a good one. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Now, I want you to notice something in verses 7 and 8. When God says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. What does the water represent? Paul writes these words in his letters to the, to the Ephesians. He shall present to himself a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle by the washing of the water of the word. By the washing of the water of the word. So the word of God represents or is represented by water. The spirit of God is also represented by water. Because the word and the spirit are one, are they not? They are. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. One God. Three persons, yet one. And it says, it will spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when, not if, but when heat comes. So we don't want the heat to come. And I went fishing Friday. I'm going to tell you what, it was hot out on that bay. And my brother-in-law I was with one brother-in-law, and my other brother-in-law was in another boat. 
And he said, it was so hot out there, I was ready to tell your brother to take me to the dock and drop me off. He said, it was just almost more than I could stand. Then the breeze came, and it was all good. Not if the heat comes, but when the heat comes. God doesn't suspend his seasons for our convenience. And he does that in his grace and in his goodness. Because it really would be disastrous if God did that. Just like it would be disastrous to let a child eat whatever he wanted, drink whatever he wanted, just because that's what they want. Because a diet of Kool-Aid and soda and candy will kill you. So good parents say, no. You can maybe have that in measure. You can't just eat or drink or do whatever you want to. Because my stewardship from God as a parent is to make sure that you grow and you mature in a healthy way. Now, we all understand that as parents, right? Dealing with children, or I hope we do. And where does our idea of parenthood come from? Well, it comes from God. God created parents. He created children. He created the family. That very picture of family, of parents and children, is a picture that God gives to us so that we can understand our relationship with Him. We're talking about trees and the very picture of the trees around us and how they grow and how they flourish and how they're fruitful and how they live or how they die, how they survive, how they thrive. That's a picture that God, are you listening to me, church? That God wove into creation to give us understanding of the relationship that He created us to have with him. Trees aren't an accident. They're not just things that someone discovered makes good analogies. So I think I'll use a tree as an analogy because it paints a pretty good picture. Duh, no joke. God did that on purpose. Can we gain understanding by everything around us? I hope we can. So when the heat comes, not if, but when the heat comes. But if we're rooted, and if we're tapped into something deeper than ourselves, something deeper than what can be seen or what can be perceived than just on the surface, when the heat comes, here's the promise of God, but its leaf will be green. And will not be anxious in the year of drought. What does that tell us? The drought will come. We are in a drought right now. In every sense of the word. We are in a drought naturally. I'm telling you, the body of Christ better wake up and see what is taking place in our nation. We are in a drought spiritually. We're not just in a drought spiritually. I I believe God has put us in the long, hot 
dry summer because he is doing something in his body. Not just this body, but he is doing something in the body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you what, when it's all said and done, God's going to identify who's shrubs and who's trees. Who's a tree planted by the rivers of water and who is the chaff that's going to be blown with the wind? This is the day we're living in. I wish it were not so. I wish what is taking place in our nation was not taking place in our nation. If I just... just carnally, naturally. What I believe the body of Christ is going to go through in the coming decades, when I look at my grandbabies, I look at those babies of, of, of Jacob and Melissa's and all of you that got little kids here, what those kids are going to go through in the coming decades is going to be far different than what some of us have gone through coming up. Bless you guys. It's going to be far different. And if the church, listen to me, if the church continues to live in denial and wants to believe that, you know, things are just like they always were or we just need a different message or we just need a different magnet or we just need a different thing, we need another gimmick, we need this, we need that. If if we keep living in that pattern, one day we're going to wake up and it's going to hit us in the face so hard, and we're not going to know what's happened to us. And I believe God in his grace, like he always does. You, you can go all the way back to the very beginning of this word here, and you see that God has always provided a word, a message, a warning for those who would heed it. Jeremiah is a good example. You know what they did to Jeremiah? They did everything to Jeremiah except kill him. You know why? Because they hated his message. They didn't like his style of praise and worship. They didn't like his style of preaching. They didn't like his praying. They didn't like anything about him. He was just a bummer. This dude was a bummer. I mean, he just rained on everybody's parade. He just wouldn't tell anybody what they wanted to hear. He just, just, he just told the truth. He, just, he didn't want to be that person. He went around weeping. He was called the weeping prophet. He didn't want to be that man, but he had to be that man because he knew that he had to tell the children of Israel the truth. Do we believe, listen to me, church, do you think you live in a different time? I know the time is different, right? We live in century 21, not century before Christ. That's where Jeremiah lived. He was in the B.C. We're in the A.D. We're in the 21 A.D., right? Come on, pastor, get with the program here. Times have changed. Yeah, we still read the Bible, you know, but that's eh, not all relevant. Some of that stuff's old, passed away, done away with. We just need to get rid of it. We need a new song. We need a new message. That's what the people of Jeremiah's day thought, too. Get rid of this guy. 
He's a bummer. Man, he depresses me. He never has good news. Actually, he had really good news. They just didn't like it. All right, we're in the book of Jeremiah. Hey, we're talking about you, Jeremiah. Hey, turn over a few pages to Jeremiah 29. While I'm just going to totally abandon my sermon for today, we might as well just go all out, right? We might as well just be totally spontaneous today. Can we do that? Jeremiah 29. How many of you love Jeremiah 29? How many of you know at least one verse of Jeremiah 29? Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you have it hanging on your wall? It's on your refrigerator. It's in your house somewhere. I know it is. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans of peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Hallelujah. That's a good word, isn't it? That's the word of the Lord. That's a good word. Do you know the context of that word? See, a lot of Christians know that word, but here's, here's where we're betrayed. We can quote the refrigerator verse, but we have no clue what the context of that verse is. Do you know that Jeremiah 29, 11 is one sentence in a letter that the prophet Jeremiah wrote to the people that were already in captivity in Babylon? And Jeremiah is prophesying an even greater destruction that is coming. I mean, how much greater can the destruction get? I mean, the Babylonians have already come. They've invaded our city. They beat us. They've carried our people away captive. We are their servants. They control everything. They've taken our children, our women, our families to a foreign land. And you're telling me, Jeremiah, something worse is fixing to happen? He says, yes, I am. No, God is not going to let this stand. God is going to beat those Babylonians. Jeremiah says, no, as a matter of fact, they're going to be in captivity for 70 years. You say that one more time, I swear, Jeremiah, I will kill you. I'm sorry. It's the word of the Lord. Say it one more time. They're going to be in captivity 70 years. The king says, no, you can't kill him. He's God's prophet. I don't like what he says either. Just throw him in the dungeon and let him starve. This is what they did to Jeremiah. But here's, this is a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the children of Israel. Let me, let me just read some of it to you. Jeremiah 29. Let's, Jeremiah 29. Well, I'll just begin at the beginning. That's a good place to begin, right? Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah prophesied, the, the prophet sent to, from Jerusalem to the, to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom... Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. See, Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet. There were other prophets. And he's writing to all these people. Verse 3, this letter was sent by the hand of Eleazar, the son of Shaphan, and a bunch of people, right? Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away captive, whom I have caused. Do you see that? Whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, God doesn't do that. God wouldn't do that. God would not cause his people to be carried away captive. That's what they were saying. 
That's what the other prophets were saying. This Jeremiah, he's a doomsday prophet. He's, a, he's, a, he's just negative. God would not do that. God didn't do that. The devil did it. God says to Jeremiah, hey, write them a letter and tell them the truth. Here's what God says. Build houses, dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Seek the peace of the city. He ain't talking about Jerusalem. You know what city he's talking about? The city that destroyed them, the city that carried them away. Seek the peace of Babylon. That's what God told Jeremiah to write to the people. Seek the peace of Babylon. Do you know those Jews didn't want to hear that? They didn't want the peace of God to be on Babylon. They wanted the judgment and the destruction of God to come upon Babylon. God says, seek the peace of the city. Are we praying for the peace of our city? Are we praying for the peace of Austin? Are we praying for the peace of Washington? Do we just, we do, do we just pray for those because we want our political agenda or we want our hot-button issues voted on the way we want it voted on? Do we, do, are we praying for the peace of the city? Or are we sitting here waiting for our escape, for the rapture to happen? I'm just biding my time till God raptures me out of here. No, we're just like the children of Israel who said, you know what, we're not going to be there very long. Don't plant gardens, don't build houses, don't marry, don't have kids. You're not going to be there long enough. We're out of here. God's going to give us the great escape. God says to Jeremiah, write them and tell them, build houses, plant vineyards, plant gardens, marry Given marriage, have kids, raise your kids, increase, pray for the peace of the city. You're going to be there a while. The church in America has been so caught up with her great escape, we've let our country and our nation go to hell all around us. Because year after year, we think this is going to be the year. We're going to write another book about all the happenings in the Middle East. And maybe this is the year that God's going to rapture us out of here. Or maybe this is the year that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. When all along, we should be praying for the peace of our city. We should be building and planting and reaping and, and, and trusting God for increase until God takes us out in his time. We don't really know what his time is. We don't. Now, these guys did because God told them. Seek the peace of the city. Where I have caused you, verse 7, where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Do you realize how divided our nation is? Have you noticed how divided our nation is? Have you noticed how divided the body of Christ is? I mean, if our theology doesn't just match, line up perfectly, we'll just divide and the devil will conquer. That's the mode of operation of the church today. And we wonder, 
we wonder why there's such disruption. We wonder why things are happening the way they're happening. We wonder why the, the White House is failing and the State House is failing and, and everything else seems to be failing and everything else seems to be divided and coming apart when the very thing that God put in the earth to be a witness can't be a witness. If we can't, if we, the church, can't be a witness, how do we expect the world? And this is what the church does. The church ignores, now here I'm going to touch on 1 Corinthians 5 right here, because this is what 1 Corinthians 5 is about. Here we are pointing a finger at the world's sinfulness when we ought to be dealing with our own sinfulness. And the Bible says it's not our place to judge the world. God will judge the world, but it is our place to judge our own sinfulness, and we refuse to do it. And then we wonder why the world can't get their act together. You know why they can't? Because they're the world. They're, they're trapped hopelessly in sin and death. But we are the church. We are the people of God. We have the truth. We have the light. We have become light in the Lord. And the command of Scripture is that we walk in that light. And we walk as children of light. I'm not going to read all of Jeremiah 29, but let's skip down to the verse that we're all familiar with. So he says, look, I've caused you to be carried away captive. Pray for the peace. Work for the peace of the cities. Oh, I like this one. No, verse 8, I've got to do this. Go back to verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor listen to the dreams which you cause to be dreamed. Pastor, I had a dream last night, and here's what I think the word of the Lord is. Really? Well, it doesn't exactly line up with Scripture, but, oh, really? (laughs) But I know it's from the Lord. I feel it in my heart. Did you read that? Did you remember that verse we just read? The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. I don't care what your heart feels. You show me what the word says. Don't tell me what your heart feels. Show me what this word says. We're all about how our heart feels, and nobody knows, seems to know what the Word of God says. And we've fallen in love with how our heart feels, but no one can tell us what the Word of God says. We better get delivered of that real quick. You know you can cause yourself to dream dreams? You sure can. It's not just here in Jeremiah, it's also in Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Jeremiah both warned. These prophets are prophesying what they want to prophesy because that's what's in their heart, but that's not necessarily the word of the Lord. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years, look at this, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and I will perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. Now we understand what verse 11 is all about. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Do you know God told his people that right after he told them exactly what they did not want to hear? This is the danger of cherry-picking your scriptures. Don't just cherry-pick your scriptures and claim it as a promise from God if you don't know the context in which it was given. Because it wasn't written to you, it was just written for you. 
unless you were there in Babylon and received that letter, that word was not written to you, but it was written for us. But it was written for us that we would understand it in the context in which it was given. And the context in which it was given is this. God's not always going to do what we want him to do. He's not always going to do how we want him to do, when we want him to do. But when it's all said and done, God's plans and God's purpose for us is good. It is to give us a good hope and a future. Though we may not like having to endure 70 years in captivity, God says, but that's the way it's going to be. Do you realize that when they read that letter in Babylon, some of the people that heard that letter that came from Jeremiah via God, do you realize that some of those people, when they heard that letter, if they trusted the word of the Lord, they would realize that they would die in Babylon and never see their beloved Jerusalem again? Some of those people did. Some of those little ones, and we see this later on when they go back and rebuild the second temple. Because what Jeremiah was saying, look, you got carried away captive, you're going to be there 70 years, but not only that, because of your unbelief and your wickedness, God's going to send the Babylonians back and, and they're going to utterly destroy this city and this temple. God forbid, God would never destroy his temple. They could not receive it, they couldn't believe it. And that's exactly what happened. And then when they finally came back 70 years later and they finally rebuilt the temple and they dedicated the second temple, there were a handful of people that were old enough that had seen the original temple in its glory. But the vast majority of people had never been to Jerusalem, had never seen the temple. These children that were born in Babylon, they come back and now they rebuild this temple and they think it's the most grand and glorious thing they've ever seen because they've never seen anything like it because all they've ever known was the idolatry of Babylon. Now they're in Jerusalem, the rebuilt Jerusalem with the rebuilt temple, and they're just, they're, they're just beside themselves. But the Bible says those that were there and saw the glory of Solomon's temple wept. You know why they wept? Because the glory of that second house just did not measure up to Solomon's temple. And they wept and they said, oh, you guys think this is something. I wish you could have seen Solomon's temple before the Babylonians destroyed it. And here comes the word of the Lord. And thus says the Lord, the glory, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. How can that be? We're looking with our natural eyes and this temple is nothing compared to Solomon's temple. But see, God wasn't talking about a physical temple. He wasn't talking about a building made with stones, he was talking about the temple of his son. He was talking about the temple that would be built without hands from rocks and stones that are cut out without hands. And he said, you just wait. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. Do you realize, church, that you are that latter house? You are the latter house. You are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the very thing that the prophets spoke of in the midst of the weeping, in the midst of the joyful celebration. Because they were both looking at the wrong thing. They could only see in the natural, with natural eyes. They had no ability to discern spiritually what God really was doing. 
But now we are not like them because we, if you are in Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't have to depend on discerning things naturally. You have an ability to discern spiritual things by the Spirit that lives in you. And my question is, church, can you discern what's happening in the church, around the church, and in our culture today, in the world that we live in? Can you discern what's happening? I exhort you, I encourage you in the strongest way possible that you begin to pray and ask God to give you the discernment to see the things that are transpiring around you because no one has the answer except those who carry the answer. Christ is the answer. And if you are in Christ, then you carry the answer. You are a carrier. You're like a, you're like a host that carries a virus, except this virus is a really good one. All the rage are these zombie movies where people getting infected by this virus. Oh, that the church would understand the virus that she carries called the Holy Spirit the message, the thing that she carries called the gospel, that we would go out and we would infect the world around us with the very virus that would bring life to the dead. But instead, we're like grass, just asking God to give us a shower. And I pray that we be delivered of that and we would understand that God's called us to be trees and our roots need to go deep. Don't despise the drought, don't despise the heat, don't despise the cold, don't despise the seasons. God created them, God brings them to make you what he desires you to be, a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaf will not fail, whose fruit will come forth in due season. Amen.